Let's see, guys. Well, um, I got to tell you something. Uh, I'm I'm a terrible judge of things. If, if you if you ask me to uh, come judge like a I don't know like a pageant or a, a project, I'm going to melt down. I found this out that I'm just not good at it. Uh, I shared a few weeks ago this this day that I'm new on this job for this agency, this foster agency that I was working for. And like three weeks in, we have to decide who wins the foster parent of the year award. I'm like, oh oh man, like that's a lot of pressure. I don't know any of these people yet. And then it it was, it was like, well, who do you think it should be? Based on what? What, what are we, what are we, like, what's our measurement by, I don't know, just like finger in the air. We're just going to make a decision right here. It was terrifying to me because to say that this person's foster parent of the year is to say that these 20 are not. And I, I was not cut out for that job. A few years ago, uh, I was invited to go to one of the elementary schools in Port Arthur, and it's like a kindergarten through fifth grade uh, campus, and my job was to judge the, uh, the door decorations of each class throughout. And I was handed a list, and we're going to judge on these five categories on a scale of one to ten. It's like, okay, this is a little bit more objective. I kind of get that. And it's things like uh, uh, beauty and you know, just kind of the artistic skill of it, but then it's like... Uh, uh, class involvement. Like, I don't know. Like, I can't walk into a classroom and be like, hey, Billy, did you help with the door? I don't know. Like, how do I, how do I know class involvement on a scale of one to 10? And so even in that, even when I knew the rubric, even when I knew the rules, I'd go look at this door and I'm like, I don't know. I think Mrs. Robinson did the whole thing by herself. What do you think? It's like, I have no, I have no idea. Did Mrs. Robinson do it all by herself or did little Billy help with it? It seems too perfect. And that seems weird. Like I'm going to ding them on a score for being too good, right? Uh, I, I had all kind of anxiety. I was sweating. My palms were sweaty. I kind of walked through nervously. Security's following me around because they're like, I don't know. Is he going to explode? I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I did finally put a score down and they did take that and they awarded whomever, but I feel guilty. To this day, I feel guilty that like Mrs. Robinson's third grade class, I don't even know if that's a teacher there, uh, she, she probably should have won, uh, but I think that she did all the work and didn't let the, the kids do it. I don't know. It seems subjective. No matter what happens, if you put me into a situation where I'm supposed to be the defining judge... I think of all the contingencies. Now, all of them is a little like, yay me, I can think of all. No, 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 I, t- I just get swamped and just like, well, what about this? What, what, about, what about if they tried really hard? What if, what, if, like, what, if, what if half the class had COVID? Like, do they get dinged for not having the perfect door because half the class wasn't there that week? That seems unfair. And I, I start thinking about all these different situations and I melt down. And I can't, I can't come up with a good judge. I know if it's up to me to be the judge and arbiter of all things true, pure, and beautiful, uh, you, you got to get somebody else for the job because I'm not, I'm not cut out for that. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at a piece of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about judging people. Huh? Yeah? Okay, this is this is not uh, this is not a foreign verse. This is this is going to be a really well known piece of scripture. In fact, the first verse I'm going to read, you probably have heard a lot, and yet nobody has put it on a coffee mug yet. You don't have like the Christian church like judge not lest you be judged, but you've heard people say that, right? You've been in a situation, uh, or maybe even this Thanksgiving, uh, you know, Lord willing, that doesn't happen. But maybe in this situation, you make a comment, and and someone like whips this verse way out of context and they like wield it like a whip and they like just sting you with it. Hey, you shouldn't be judging me. Who are you to judge? Don't you read your Bible? Judge not lest you be judged. We're going to look at that passage um, here uh, in a moment because what I think we're going to find out is that we were never called to be the perfect absolute judges, but at the same time, we are called to be wise, 
and discernible, have, have feelings and boundaries. Like that's, that's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. Jesus doesn't teach what I hear other people say is I'm not allowed to have a comment or a thought about a thing. That's not Jesus's teachings here. And so let's, let's try to unpack that in context. Uh, I want to remind you that the Sermon on the Mount is three whole chapters long, and so you really need to take the whole context of it all together, um, and that in those three chapters, Jesus has laid out this whole path where we need him, and it's not up to our righteousness, and he kind of kind of proves some points with that. Uh, but then, but then he, he challenges us that we take our, our righteous things, our godly things, the things that we want to do for the Lord, and we do that in secret, because in the Lord is where the power is not in our ability to just, you know, talk to people. We see that in the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to be light and salt in this world. He says, let, let people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So there is some like outwardness to the gospel. There's some outwardness to being a Christian, um, but we've got to keep it on balance is the, the Sermon on the Mount. And what we see is that if, if you are into uh, like Lord of the Rings or just the idea of like a king coming in and declaring what the rules are, uh, whatever film you want to use for that, uh, this is what's happening. Jesus shows up in his own creation, his own world. The, the, all, of, all of humanity, all of this creation was formed by his hands and we ran off with it and we did something different. And Jesus, the king shows up and says, let me, let me tell you what was supposed to be. Let me tell you what God is really like and what he really wants from you. So if you would uh, open your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter seven. And we're going to talk about judgy Christians. Yay, church. That's good. That's good. Uh, I will say uh, one thing in just uh, kind of landing this. This is part nine of the Sermon on the Mount, and I now know how many parts there are going to be to the entire Sermon on the Mount as far as me teaching it is concerned. Um, that's 10 is the answer. So this is the next to last week that we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, and I have really loved it. And I uh, maybe we'll just start back over from the beginning. I don't know. Uh, but let's look at, at uh, Matthew chapter 7. And to put it in context, he has just finished saying why we should not worry. We shouldn't worry, he says, because we can't do anything to, to change tomorrow. Sufficient for tomorrow is its troubles for tomorrow. Or, excuse me, sufficient for today is the trouble for today. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Jesus just finished saying that at the end of chapter 6. And then he opens with, you know, every atheist's favorite verse. Ch- chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Be careful, he says. He says, judge not, don't, don't judge unless, unless you are going to be judged. But let's keep going because we've got to put it in context. Verse two, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this is a really interesting principle that God operates in, and not just in terms of judgment, but in, in all of it. Uh, last week when we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, it says, uh, uh, help me forgive my debtors, uh, excuse me, forgive me my debts as I have forgiven my debtors. And then Jesus would end the Lord's Prayer by saying, by the same way we forgive others their trespasses, uh, so also will the Lord forgive us. There's this, there's this principle in scripture that how we treat others, whatever measuring stick we use to, to hold other people accountable, the Lord will make sure to point that back on ourselves and then we will be measured by that. So when he says, judge not unless you be judged, lest you be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And keep going, verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That's such a good question. That's such a good question. 
Do you, do you think, uh, I wonder, is it fair for the Lord to uh, take what I'm holding someone strictly accountable for and to point it back on me? I, I think so. I, I think it is, but I don't want that. I, and it, like, if I have to be honest, I just want to hold all, everybody else accountable and just give me all the grace, right? I, like, I'm going to teach you right from wrong, right from wrong. But in reality, it's, it's by the measurement that I'm going to use to, to judge the situation, to interfere in that conflict, to, to jump in and give my opinion. And in the quietness of the night, that night when I'm kind of reflecting, and maybe I'm praying about it, the Lord is going to put a mirror up and say, Jesse, what if I use that same measurement on you? How, how, how do you pass muster? And so the warning here is, is not that we just like refuse all judgments or refuse all opinions. The warning here is to be really sure that you know what opinion you're using, what measurement you're using, because the same measurement that we use will be what's applied to us. So if I have to be honest with you, uh, I think the better option is to be graceful as much as possible. And when someone wrongs me, if I, if I can apply grace to that and it like really stinks in that moment, it's like, ugh, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather punch a man than to be, be like, you're forgiven. But okay, but I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be graceful. I'm going to apply grace as much as possible. And when it comes time for me to need some grace, uh, the Lord will measure that back. Whatever unit of measurement I use, the Lord says he's going to point it back at me. And then he asks the question that we just read in verse three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. No, nobody's laughing. It's okay. Uh, the, joke, the joke has lost something after 2,000 years, but when Jesus said this, I guarantee you that heel just like died. Like that is hilarious. Why do you see the, the speck in your brother's eye, but you ignore the log in your own eye? The, the image, just think about the cartoonish image that, that you go to the doctor, you're like, I don't know, I can't see. I've got, I've, got, I've got a problem right here. And the doctor walks in, he's like, excuse me, he has to like swing the log in through the door. And he's like kind of walking around. You get it now. This is, this is Jesus's joke. He says, why do, we, why do we see the speck that is in our brother's eye? Why is it that we're so quick and easy to point at another problem and say, I see that problem and I'm going to do something with it? All the while, we have a much bigger version of the same problem sticking out of our eye. We look like cartoons running around, just swinging these logs around. Let me help you with that little splinter you got over there. You're like, are you kidding me? Are you joking? Uh, there, there's this whole, um, uh, I think it's called shock. I don't know. An EMT would tell you, but, uh, imagine, imagine a scenario. You, you, you've got somebody who's, uh, the house is on fire and they've run out into the yard and you, and you look at them and you're like, Hey, are you okay? You're like, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, whew, the house is on fire, but I, I'm fine. I got to find it. Like, no, really, you're not fine. You've got a big gash on your head and they have no idea that the pain is there, that it's sinking in. Uh, they have no idea the damage that's been done to them, but they're so quick to just you know, ignore it. The shock of the pain has, has numbed them uh, to the problem that's in themselves. This is a good question to ask ourselves. Why is it that we can see the problem in somebody else and not notice the bigger problem in us? There's a, there's a tendency in humanity that we see our problems in other people, and instead of trying to fix our problems, we have projected our solution onto them and we try to fix them. And we, we go to them and we're like, let me, let me help you out with anger all the while that you only see it because you're really, really angry. We have a tendency to be, uh, the word would be myopic. We have a tendency to see in others the problems that we're refusing to deal with in ourselves. Let's keep going because he, he fleshes this out beautifully. 
It says in verse four, or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You try to get closer to your brother, like, let me get that speck, and the log beats him in the face and like keeps pushing him away. You're like, come here, friend, I'm gonna get that out, and you're just destroying him. Because, because if we've not done the work to find healing for our own trauma, our own problems, our own mistakes, our own tendencies, our own addictions, if we've not done the work to heal that, all we're doing is running around with a battering ram in front of us. And we're not ready to, to, to meet people where they're at. We're not actually ready to help until we work on the log in our own eye. Keep going. It says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. Verse five, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, when, when someone takes that first verse that we read, hey, don't judge me. Your Bible says don't judge. They're ignoring the verse that comes three, three pieces down that, that says, you know what? After I've done my work, after I've dealt with the log that's in my eye, after the Lord has forgiven me of this, after I've, after I've gone into recovery and I'm no longer addicted to that thing, I'm now more skilled than the average bear to go and help someone who was struggling with the same thing. There is nobody in this world that is a better substance abuse counselor than a recovering addict. There is nobody in this world that is a better uh, battered wife's counselor than a, a woman who's been rescued from that. There is nobody in this world who is better at helping someone overcome workaholism than the dad or the mom who's like, you know what? I saw my family suffering and I made some changes and I'm just telling you, brother, I see, I see the path that you're on. If, if I can help you, let me. There, there, there is a, a desire in scripture that as we work on ourselves, we begin to see more clearly that same problem beginning in somebody else. Now, how many of us have walked down a path? We've been on, you know, it's a hard path, but five or 10 years and you are where you are and it's, you know, it's, you're, you're still working on it, of course. You know, we're, we're still working on our marriages and we're still working on, on being better at X, Y, and Z. But then you look up and you see this young man or this young woman who's on year one. And their struggles look so familiar to you. And you're like, I, I, I know what that feels like. I've been there. I've been there. I, I, will, walk, I will walk with you through this. There, there's no path to get through uh, humanity, get through this side of heaven that doesn't have scars. And everybody's scars are unique to them and unique to the, the way that the world has chewed on them. But every scar that heals is an opportunity to serve someone who is being scarred in that same way. Every single one of them. One of the most beautiful things about the gospel is that it doesn't erase our past, whether we cause the mistakes or just things happen to us. It doesn't erase it. But when we're healed or when we're experiencing healing, we're on the path towards healing, um, we get to turn and serve other people along the way so that even though we kind of had to do it on our own or we didn't have a big support structure, we can make sure that the next guy doesn't. The next girl doesn't have to walk that path alone because when we remove the log out of our own eye, we can see clearly to remove the speck out of our brother's eye to catch it before it grows into a full-on log. You talk to a, to a young person, they're like 20 years old, and, and, and they're at the beginnings of what will turn into alcoholism. It's really good to stop and like, hey, I know where the end of this road goes. I've seen that. Um, will, will, you, will you let me help you? And sometimes you can, you can help right away, but sometimes, if, I, if you have to be honest, sometimes you have done the work, you've taken the log out of your eye, and, and you go to help, and they just turn on you, don't they? 
Have you ever been there where you're like, you really were there to help and they just like, ah, and they attack you. Um, can I tell you something? Jesus knew that was coming. That's why the next verses are what they are. Here's what he says. And it seems weird out of context because it's all metaphor. Like we just pulled the log out of our eye and now we can help the person with the speck. And then he talks about dogs and pigs and stuff. He says in verse six, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there are times where you have done the work to heal, and you're there to, to offer a, just a pearl, a, a gem, a precious thing, and that person doesn't receive it as what it is and just turns like a dog or turns like a pig and, and attacks you. Jesus warned that. Now, now think, think about this real quick. If, if, if verse one means what everybody says that it means, like, hey, you can't judge people, then how is it that four verses later, Jesus like, and watch out for dogs and pigs? I don't know. Maybe Jesus is making a larger statement right here. The warning is, hey, be sure that you've, you've dealt with yourself. Be sure that when you see a problem in somebody else, be sure you don't see that because you haven't worked on it on yourself. You're not projecting the solution on them. But if you have, if you've worked on yourself, if you've pulled the log out of your eye and you go to help someone who is going through that same situation, through that same problem, they, they may receive that and thus be healed, but they may turn and attack you. And Jesus gives us permission to have healthy boundaries right here. That's what verse, verse six says. Don't give to them what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Listen, Christian, uh, for some reason, we got in our heads that Jesus called me to be really nice to people. And, and, and by being nice, I have to be super vulnerable, right? In fact, uh, a few chapters before in the whole love your enemies part, bless them, do not curse them. Uh, uh, someone asks you to walk them out, you walk with them too. Uh, a lot of people would teach that as like, you just like, sometimes people are going to abuse you and you have to deal with it. That's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches ridiculous grace, ridiculous forgiveness. Like default mood is forgiveness and grace and mercy. But if you go out of your way to help someone and they turn and just, they don't, they don't receive it, you have Jesus's permission to just Draw a little boundary right there between you and them. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It means that you have a good boundary. You're not constantly throwing your pearls before the pig who's turning and attacking you. Um, I think this is a good lesson to learn for Christians who are just like, I, I just want to be helpful. Of course you do. I'm tired of being beat up. Of course you are. Uh, I'm told to love my enemies. Yes, you are. But when you go and offer the, like, let me tell you about how I went through this and and, and I don't want to go through that again, and they just turn and dismiss you. They turn and, and attack you, or even they take your story and uh, like blast it, put it on Facebook or something, and, and just really mishandle the confidence that you get, you've given to them. Jesus gives us permission to have healthy boundaries with people and say, you know what? I don't, it's not that I hate you. I still love you. I'm just like, we're not going to hang out. We're not going to associate. Uh, and that's, that's a good godly thing. Now, Jesus will uh, continue this and he'll go on to some passages uh, that we'll look at next week, uh, like the golden rule. Uh, the golden rule would be easy to apply right here because the golden rule is treat others the way that you want to be treated. Jesus says you don't really have a choice before that because the same stick you use to measure someone is going to be measured to you, so you might as well treat them the way that you want to be treated. We'll connect those two dots next week, but I want to get back to this, like how do I know the difference between people? How do I have good boundaries? Because he picks that back up in verse 15. Verse 15 says, beware of false prophets. Uh, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, so we've gone to uh, judge not, lest you be judged by that same measure. And then we're going to talk about uh, healing and serving people. But some people, you know, we try to serve, they kind of act like pigs and dogs and they turn to attack us. So we've got to know the difference between pigs and dogs and people who want our help. And now he says, beware of false prophets. So, so we, need to, we need to be wise and understand that there are some people out there that they are telling us the truth. And there are some people out there who are false and they're false prophets. And he says, uh, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I don't, you know, it's a really colorful way of saying that. He could have said, it's just a wolf. It's just like, you know, you can tame a wolf, right? But a ravenous wolf, are you kidding me? Ravenous, that's, that's I'm, I'm kind of a, a word nerd. Uh, I, I, like, I like good colorful words. To be ravenous is like just constantly hungry for whatever, more, 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 more. Constantly just like going after it. Hey, beware of false prophets, he says, because some of them are narcissists. Some people out there who claim to know things about God and claim to be telling you the truth are really just narcissistic, wanting more and more attention for themselves. Be careful because they are out there. So again, we're, we're encouraged to draw a boundary and to do something with it. Beware of prof- false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How, how are we going to know? How are we going to know who the false prophets are? It's possible um, that a false prophet doesn't even know that they are a false prophet. There's nothing in this that says that the wolf is like, just like putting on the costume of the sheep and is like walking around. Like, look at, like, it's not like Little Red Riding Hood where the wolf knew what was going on. My, what big teeth you have. My, what big lies you have. It, it's, it's completely possible that there are people that they're not, they're not self-aware enough to know that they're damaging other folks out there putting on the, the costume of being a good godly man and a good godly woman, putting on the costume of being your friend, your best friend, and really believing that they are the thing that they are pretending to be, but in the end, just being destructive and causing problems in your life. How do you know, and how do they know? How do you know who is the false prophet? How do you know who is the wolf in sheep's clothing? Here's the answer. Verse 16 says, you, you and I, will recognize them by their fruits. I love that. You will recognize them by their fruits. You'll recognize them by the things that they're producing in this world. This is a great leadership uh, uh, metric, also a great parenting metric. If, uh, If you're a parent or if you're a leader of people, it's really wise that when you go to analyze something, someone, uh, that you analyze them on objective things that are in reality. We make a mistake and we do fall into the trap of judging people wrongly when we look at someone and say they are bad or uh, you can never trust them. You, you, you make character assessments on someone uh, first. You, you fall into a trap of just, just uh, pronouncing onto them things that aren't true and you have no inward knowledge of what's going on anyway. But you do have knowledge, objective knowledge, of what that person has produced. And so when, when you're a teacher uh, and you have that one kid who is, that kid is just bad. That kid is just trouble. That kid is just, and we, we make those character statements. But what you, you can't say is like, you know, that kid uh, is, is, is frequently in fights with people. That's objective. That's a fruit. Um, that, 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 that kid uh, is, is often turning in late work. That's objective. Not that they don't care. You can't know whether or not they care. Um, Let's say you're a leader of people. This guy hates his job. I can't, I can't trust him with anything. That's a character statement. You can say uh, he, he's late 15 minutes, like three days a week. Uh, that's objective. That's a fruit. 
And so, so Jesus is like, he, he says, here's how you're going to know the difference between uh, someone who is a sheep and someone who is pretending to be a sheep. Here's how you're going to know the difference between someone who is a prophet and someone who is a false prophet. Also, here's how you're going to know the difference between someone you can trust and someone you can't trust is by looking at the objective things in this world that are their fruit. You will recognize them by their fruits. And then he asks these, these questions. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? If I'm in the crowd right then, I got to be honest with you. I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Like, I'm not a farmer. <laughs> what do I know about where grapes come from? I've never had grapes. Uh, could be. The answer is no, they don't. Everybody in the crowd is like, absolutely not. You know, thorn bushes are the devil. Uh, grapes are delicious. Grapes, you get, you get Welch's grape juice that we use for communion. And uh, you get like wine and, and they're awesome. Uh, but thorn bushes, nothing good comes out of that. They, they know that right away. Verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So, so the, the one who is the real deal will have objective things that you can point to and you can look at and say, I, I think this guy's trustworthy. I, because you can see, like, it, like he, he's kind of, I can't read him, I can't, I can't read her, but I can see like by how things are around him or her that it must be a good tree because the fruit is good. Or the opposite, everything looked right. Um, he was trying to sell me the car, but I don't know. Like he just, like I smelled alcohol in his breath. Like he, he's like, I don't know if I can trust this guy. We went on a test drive and he's like swerving everywhere. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I can't trust him even though everything looked right on the outside. What, what's, what's fascinating about this is that if, if, you, if you play with the hypothetical of the wolf not knowing that they're pretending, the friend that you have who doesn't know that they're being a bad friend, um, the narcissist who's trying to put on a good show to Im- impress you, uh, they can put on a great show and maybe fool some people, uh, but you can't hide your fruit. You can't hide your outcomes. That's, that's why someone, when you're, when you're interviewing for a job or you're having to do the interviews and you're looking at the resume, everything looks amazing. The interview went amazing. This guy like can put on a great show right here in this moment. I really think that this is the guy. And then you call the first reference and it's like, Yikes. And then they hang up on you because you used his name in, in public. You're like, right. So there's something wrong with the fruit of this guy. There's somebody I was listening to. They're talking about how they uh, interview for this uh, company. It's like a four or 500 person company. And before you can be hired on for any position above whatever mark, you, you, you go through these interviews, you have these assessments, you have the resume, you have all the normal stuff. But then before they will hire you, you have to go out to dinner with the CEO and his wife and just sit at a table. And so they were interviewing the CEO and he was talking about it. And he says, yeah, it's, it's fascinating the number of people who made it all the way to this moment. They passed everything that we tested. But when you're sitting at a table with someone and the waiter is slow to bring you the water and they just yell at them, they belittle them, that's a character uh, statement that will never show up on a resume. And it's not what we want in our culture right here. And we don't hire those people. Because you, you, can't, you can't lie and you can't pretend about your fruit. It's objective. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. We are called uh, not, to, not to judge people, but to judge the things that people uh, produce in this world, not as a um, uh, quality assessment of who they are as an individual, just whether or not you can trust them. So when, when Jesus says, don't judge people, we should not be in the business of like going out and like, Hey, you need to stop sinning, my friend. Like, dude, you can't, you can't do that. And you got to stop acting that way. That's not our job. 
Let the Lord handle that. Um, but what he does say is like, when it comes time to evaluate someone coming on, like look at things, look at the objective truth and use that for something. That's why in like First Timothy, when it says the qualifications of a pastor, the qualifications of an elder, a lot of it is how do they treat their family? How do they manage their household? What's their reputation in the community? What is, and, and all of these things are outside of whether or not they can open the Bible and teach. There were some of that there, but it's these objective things about the fruit. It turns out, um, Jesus um, would indicate that we're terrible judges overall. We're kind of flawed. We need to be careful when we're judging things that we're not applying to them uh, our problems, applying to another person our problem that we haven't handled and, and we have biases. But in, in those biases, we're also called to be wise and to have boundaries with people. We're called to not put ourselves under false teachers, ravenous wolves, narcissistic people who are, are really just out for themselves. But then we get to where Jesus kind of turns the mirror around and he looks at himself as a judge in verse 21. At the, at the end of all of this, this whole, um, if you call it a manifest, the Sermon on the Mount meaning a manifest of the king, uh, he says that not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. There's a moment that will come in, 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 as Jesus is looking at the timeline of things, where that not everybody who just screams out, hey, Jesus, you're my king, uh, that they're honest about it. Only the, only the ones who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, on that day, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that's where we'll, we'll end today. There's, there's, this, there's this aspect where we are not really terribly skilled at judging all people's intentions and all people's things, but Jesus the Lord is. Um, and, and to trust that is to just trust that when people are acting a fool, like you can draw your boundaries and protect yourself, but you don't have to correct them. You don't, have to, you don't have to be the arbiter of it. Just point them back to Jesus and trust that he will accomplish what he wants. We follow, we follow the Lord's way of doing things, one, because he's the Lord, he's king, and two, his way is full of grace and mercy and it invites me, a broken person who has no business in his kingdom, to be a part of it. But at the end of time, Jesus says, and this would probably include those false prophets he was just discussing. At the end of time, Jesus says, there will be people who wanted to put on a good show for everybody, but Jesus sees through all the nonsense and knows specifically that this was never a follower of mine. They will say, I did all these great things. I, I talked about you and I prayed before my meals and I, I did something. But our hope, and we've said this a dozen times in the series, our hope isn't in how sincere we were in our prayer, our hope isn't in our ability to be perfect or, or answer for imperfections. Our hope is not resting on anything we've done, said, or can do. Our hope is resting in that we put our trust in the Lord Jesus and we're going to follow him. And there are groups of people who they just wanted all the blessings of Jesus and they wanted all the, the fireworks of being a follower of Jesus, but they never actually submitted themselves. Jesus is Lord. That word Lord, it just, it just means I'm not the boss anymore. Jesus, you're Lord. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not complicated, but Jesus doesn't allow for people to play patty cake with Christianity and just get a pass for it. 
because it was never about what we produced in this world. It was about who we trusted. What I would invite you to do is that you would, you would know this. I'm a terrible judge of people. Uh, first, I, I get sweaty and it makes me really uncomfortable. Um, you too are biased and you have, you have different things that have conditioned. You have logs and specs that, that you're working on. We all do. We're all healing. And so we're terrible at knowing exactly who people are and, and what they are. But the Lord has said, it's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to work on things. It's okay to offer help to people. But if they turn on you, just you know, draw that boundary, protect yourself from false prophets. And in the end, Jesus says, he'll be the perfect judge. In the end, he will sort out all of the nonsense. He'll pull the costumes off of all the fake prophets and they'll be revealed for what they truly are. And we get left here in a safer space because we get to draw healthy, holy boundaries. Um, and we don't have to be the arbiter of who's right and wrong. Let the Lord handle that. I want to say a couple of things in closing. Um, first is this, uh, kingdom citizens, you and I Christians, those of us who, who say that we follow Jesus and we call him Lord, it's not just something we're, we're testing at this moment, but those of us who are followers of Jesus know that we are measured by the same stick we measure others with. And you have to, you, you have to, you have to you know, look at people and make assessments. Uh, just know that the same assessment metric that we use is being held against us as well. And so uh, we should measure gracefully. When someone, if someone comes in and they're just angry for no reason, um, I don't know, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they just got a really bad news. Who knows? You don't really need to know. Um, you can protect yourself by drawing a boundary, but you don't have to pronounce on that person, that individual, any judgment um, and choose grace because one day you may need a little bit of that grace turned back on you. One day you may have a bad day. I know I, know I need grace. The second thing is this, is that Jesus gives you permission, holy permission, uh, to have boundaries. And I think this is really empowering for a lot of Christians. I know a lot of Christians who really struggle with this. How do I draw a healthy boundary? Well, Jesus gives you permission to have them. It's not ungodly. Someone may turn to you like a pig or a dog and like, oh, you don't love Jesus. You have a boundary. No, it's okay. Yeah. It's like, it's like the dinosaurs at Jurassic Park. They bite the fence every now and then just to see, but the fence is good, uh, but it still stings them a little bit, right? Uh, it's, it's when you let the fences go down that all, I mean, I can do a whole Jurassic Park sermon right now. Like the whole thing goes apart when you let the boundaries down. My goodness, I should have thought of that earlier. Uh, Jesus expects us to have good boundaries and encourages it. It's, it's one way to follow the Lord is that we would draw healthy boundaries and, and hold, hold people accountable. Like, no, I won't let you abuse me in that way, uh, but I still love you. I hope things go well for you. Uh, and the third thing is this, is that we, uh, all of us, uh, we're flawed and inadequate judges with our own biases, with our own specs and our own logs. Um, but Jesus, he just judges perfectly. He knows what people need more than you do. And it could be that he's using this person just to show you where your log is in that moment. It could be that Jesus put the two of you in the same room together so that as you discuss your healing, that they too can be healed. Or it could be that it's none of your business and just let the Lord judge it. And just life is easier when we don't have to be the arbiters of all things good, bad, and evil. We can just be like, I'm just making my way through this world too, man. Let me pray for you. Uh, we will have one more week of the Sermon on the Mount and we'll watch the queue in just a moment. Father, um, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that um, in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have, we have challenges, we have encouragements, 
Uh, but Father, you give us healthy boundaries that we can, we can seek and begin to build. Um, I pray, Lord, for myself and for the rest of Carpenter's Way, God, that you would give us uh, just an immense amount of wisdom to know when and how to set up a boundary, when and how to, to begin to help someone. Lord, that you would give us um, clarity and enough self-introspection to know when we're swinging our log around and not, um, not dealing with our own problems. Father, may we first deal with our problems and lay them down at your feet, and may we be healed from them before we begin to, to help others. Help us to do this well, and help us to, to be honoring to your word, graceful with others. Uh, as we go through this holiday, we, we thank you for family, and uh, we give you thanks uh, on this Thanksgiving week. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.